reading this morning, we hear more about the wonderful things that Jesus has accomplished. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. It's titled, One in Christ. It's found on page 1174 of the Church's Bible. One in Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. David. Father, we thank you that we have heard your word this morning. And Lord, I pray for David that he brings us the words that he's prepared, that we will continue to hear your word through him. Bless him, Lord, and encourage him. Give him clarity of speech. And Lord, give us ears to hear what you would have us hear. Amen. Thank you, Rishi. Yeah, when, I'm, when we're in Ibiza, um, we've got a much smaller building than this, but often someone will put their hand up and then they'll do that. They say they can't hear me because we haven't got a, 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 someone at the back guiding us and pushing us up loudly when we go soft and hard, you know, slowing us down when we go hard and things like that. So it's just, it's just lovely to have someone on the back there pushing me up as high as I possibly can. Someone said, you've got a very soft voice. I said, well, it's where I come from. <laughs> if you'd been at the prayer meeting on, on um, Tuesday morning, I confess I wasn't. This picture was given out. And I think that it was something which we all should hear because it's so powerful. 
and it's something which is for us as a church. It goes like this. Oh, by the way, it was given by someone who has really no connection with the church in the congregation. I had a picture during the prayer meeting of a galleon that looked like it had been in a storm and a battle. The sails were torn, mass broken, the hull was holed, and everything looked beyond repair. Some had left in lifeboats, and I sensed the Lord saying, that's okay. Those who left felt bewildered, dismayed, and hurt. And the verse came to me, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Then I saw those left on board beginning to turn to their tasks. Some began mending the sails, others masts, some went below to sort out the cannons and defenses, some began cleaning and attending the wounded. I felt the Lord reassuring those left behind not to worry, but simply do whatever their hands found to do, and trust him that he would send the wind of his spirit in a time when the repairs are done, and the galleon would once again be in full sail on the open sea. So rest in this harbour of restoration. Rearm and prepare for the fighting stuff. Powerful, isn't it? Let's just bow our heads just a moment. Father, we want to thank you for that word. Thank you that you encourage us and you challenge us and you teach us. And we pray this morning that we might just hear a little bit more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just bear with me. Stephen, in lots of ways, believe it or not. But first of all, I want to talk about a particular wall, the Berlin Wall. Do you remember many years ago that we all, the great big fuss was made about the division of Germany and how when the wall came down, it was, it was such a rejoicing because it meant that a, a country that had been divided into east and west was now one country. You know, we may, you know there, there are things about that, but it's a, the wall, it was, it was a symbol of disunity. And when the wall was destroyed, it was a, became a symbol of unity. in Bootle at the time and we had quite a, a, a lovely youth group there who were, were very fond of what was going on and one of the parents came up to me one day and said I've got a present for you and it was this lump of concrete and I said where's that from he said that's part of the Berlin Wall when it came down I, I was in Germany at, at that time and I had a, a, a forces ID card rather than my passport and I had the opportunity and I was in a, um, I was in a barracks that was called Hona. Uh, I, I made a mistake earlier on. It said it was Minden. It was Hona. And that Hona is a camp which is right next door to Bergen-Belsen. And anyway, so we, we, were, we were given the opportunity of going to Berlin on the forces train that went through after the wall had come down. I was only travelling on my forces ID card, so I couldn't go because I had to have a passport to get through the, the things that were there. So, but I'll just uh, share that because I think it's important to know that there was such a symbolic thing in that particular piece of rock. What happened was that I kept it. I'm going to share about that a bit later on. And the other place I want to look at is the temple. 
because the temple had walls round it, but it was divided into different courts. There was the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles, and where the, the priests could go in. It was, a, it was a symbol of disunity in one sense. But we're here today just to hear about this one thing, at being one in Christ. The Ephesian Christians were separate from Christ. This is what this is Paul writing. He said they were separate from Christ and they were shut off from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they were dirty people in the eyes of the Jews and they were separated from Christ. And Paul describes them as without God. They were atheists. Can I ask a, a question of us all? How about you? Are you an atheist? Of course, your answer is going to be, of course not. But if you are living your life as though there were no God, if you're not loving him with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your body, and if you're not serving him, then what are you? You know, over the last year, we've had three marvelous courses of teaching. One was the course about Gideon. The other one was the course about the front line. And the other one's the course, Rhythms of Grace. These were all given to us to set us up to be what God wants us to be, to serve him. He wants, he, wanted us, he wants us to serve him. I think it was Archbishop Temple many, many thousands of years ago who said, the church is the only one organization that does not exist for itself. It exists for those who are outside. And those three courses were designed to bring us into a frame of mind that would take us out into the world. Now, courses can be laid on. We can hear the words... We can agree with them, or we can't. And we just some, but unless we put the teaching into practice, we will get nowhere because it's not being absorbed into us. I think it was, um, well, I know who it was. It was a, a, an Argentinian preacher called Juan Carlos Ortiz who said we should all be beefsteak Christians. And everyone said, what's a beefsteak Christian? And he said, when you, I've heard this, I've said this before, I know, when you eat a steak, it goes into your mouth and you chew it, and then you swallow it and it becomes part of your digestive system, and then it's absorbed into your body, and you become part of a beefsteak. Christians should be exactly the same. The words that we hear should be absorbed into our minds and our bodies so that we become part of that word. And if we don't absorb the, the, the lessons or the teachings that we have, we're not doing God any justice at all. And Paul speaks to us. We have to remember that although he's writing to the Ephesian Christians, he's also writing to us so that we can follow what's going on in his mind. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, we see that we were at that time separate from Christ. We see that we were formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. 
think on these things and we see that we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We saw that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you remember those times? We saw unbelievers indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, how about your mind? What goes through it from time to time? You know, all sorts of things. Some are good, some are bad, some are rubbish. You know, Jenny comes home from the hairdressers and tells me about the, the magazines that are in the, in the hairdressers and she reads them. She said, I've never read so much rubbish in my life, but I enjoy it. You don't really. <laughs> we saw those who, by nature, children of wrath. And we are those who, having no hope, without God in the world. That's what we were. We were without hope. But, in chapter 2, verse again in that same passage, we see that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's the key phrase in it all. What God has done, he's given us his peace. He himself is our peace, who's made the two groups, one, long passage, I'll read it from here. By setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him... We have access to the Father by the one Spirit. He is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier, abolishing the flesh, the hostility that was there, and made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. He came and preached peace to those near and those far off. The way in which Jesus brought about peace involved the destruction of those things which stood in the way of peace. Notice that Jesus has a destructive ministry, tearing down strongholds, tearing down that which is incorrect in us. He broke, he broke down, literally destroyed the barrier of the dividing wall. In verse 15, we see him abolishing in his flesh, the enmity, the hostility. And he's put the end to it because he is our peace. He's abolishing in his flesh the hostility that is there. Because in us, we have this hostile reaction to the things which Jesus wants us to do. When, one of the things which, I think I shared this, I'm not sure whether I did earlier on, Jenny and I are going back to Ibiza a week on Tuesday. 
Half of me wants to say, yes, I want to go because I know God wants me there. But the other half is resentful because I've got to go back again. I've shared this in the house group. I've shared it with people because of the situation which we came to about going back. But I think really that, you know, unless you know that you've got God telling you what to do and going to do it, you're wasting time in lots of ways. So what is God doing? I put up there building a wall. It's interesting, in um, Isaiah, they're talking about the stones that built the temple. And it says they were hewn and shaped away from the temple, not on the holy ground. It's interesting. We don't get shaped and hewn in here. We get shaped and hewn outside in our own individual lives. You know, it's all right for us to turn around and say, oh, well, we could get it in church. No, we only get this from God himself in our own quiet times, in our own time with God. We can have all the teaching in the world, but unless we apply it in our own lives and act upon it, we don't do it. We don't get anywhere. The stones. When we were in Ibiza last year, John and Libby were out there with us, and we went for a walk around the back of the, the apartment, and there was this great big pile of stones, something similar to that. And um, when John and Libby went home, and a couple of weeks later, we went, we went and walked on the same path. And that's what we saw. The most beautiful wall that had been built. And it really was a strong, solid wall. And those of you who, perhaps like we do, we've got this fetish of watching the one show on a night time sometimes, and the other night they were at the Harrogate, and they were actually building a wall. And, and you saw the, the skill that went into building that wall, and how the stones were shaped. This is what God wants of us, to be shaped so that we can be fitting in to one wall. The marvellous thing that God has done and he's made a single body of diverse people. Not two bodies, not an Old Testament Israel and a New Testament church. One body, one temple, to serve as the dwelling place for one spirit. That bit of concrete that I had, that I was given, you know, I was so proud of it, but in one of our moves we lost it. And so we, we, I haven't got it anymore. But it reminded me constantly that the gospel breaks down walls and unites people and builds up a house where God dwells. Last week we had the bishop with us. I assume that he preached the same sermon at the, both services. And uh, he gave us in one sense, a quiet little telling off as a church. It was very gentle, very loving. He didn't slap us around the face or kick our backsides or anything like that. He just said it as it was. And I think that we've got to learn a lesson there. Because you see, when the bishop inducts a vicar into a parish, he still has charge of the keys. I had a friend who was a, 
he was a lovely man, wonderful cook, um, and, uh, but he had a church in Manchester which was, um, which was quite in a rough area. And he was, one day he got so fed up with all the things that were happening around the building and around the, around the area that he took the keys of the church, walked up to the bishop's house, knocked on the door. The bishop came and he said, when you inducted me, you said this living is yours and mine. It's now yours. <laughs> the bishop came because he loves us and cares for us and he spoke to us in a way which was very loving and careful because he wants the best for us as a church. So, so for Christ, let me just ask these questions. Does the gospel, each one has got a question mark at the end, so there's no answers. Does the gospel unite us? Question. Is it a place where God dwells. Are you loving him with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your body? Not just bits, but the whole lot. Are you serving him in the way that you are physically able? You know, when you get old and cranky, the bones start melting away and you can't do what things you want to do. When I ran a youth group, I was running up mountains and doing scree walking and all sorts of things with, you know, with loads of youngsters. And it was lovely. It really was wonderful. If I tried to do it today, I'd fall flat on my face and be really damaged. But, you know, but one of the things I learned in that period of time was about young people. They are the, how can I put it, the powerhouse of the church. They are the powerhouse because they've got the energy, they've got the excitement, they've got the enthusiasm to get out and do it. You know, why are, if you look at our young soldiers who are in Harrogate, who are being trained to be soldiers, they're all 16, 17 year olds. Why are they that age? Because they've got enthusiasm and they've got energy and they're young and they can do things which the older folk cannot do. And I think it's very important that we nurture our young people in a way which brings them closer to Christ, but not only nurture them, because one of the things that I found when I was having a, doing a youth work was that I had more of their parents coming to church than the young people, because the young parents suddenly realized, or the parents realized, is what God had done for their children. We've got to pray for our young people. They're going to Soul Survivor next week. I only hope they survive it. Because <laughs> as I remember things like that, it's quite wearing. Well, <laughs> sorry, I, but my, I'm letting my mind wander. I shouldn't do that. But let me just share this with you. We were taking, Jenny and I were taking a, a house party of young people on behalf of the uh, Cypher in uh, a Bible college up in. Oh, crumbs. Beric, better come on Tweed. And we had great fun. The, the kids were absolutely violent. They, they were naughty. They really were. Um, and, but, you know, we, we were getting on fine and everything was fine. We were, we were comfortable. We had a good bed to sleep in. And the, but the youngsters were learning. We had a wonderful speaker. Then came the last night. And the rotten toads 
had dismantled our bed and taken it away. So we had nowhere to sleep. But the point I'm making is it was a relationship thing. They felt they could do it because they loved us and they knew that we loved them. But young people are the powerhouse of the church if we allow them to be so. Amen. Who said that? <laughs> no, but really, it really is. It's so, such a powerful thing if we allow the young people their heads and they can get so much work done. Anyway, are you serving him with all your heart? Well, I think that's all, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, then there's the final question. And this is the one which I think is the key question. Are we one? Now, Jesus in one of his parables says afterwards, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He who has ears. If you think everything's all right, everything's sweetness and light, fine. But if you can't see what's going on, listen to what God is saying. Because he's challenging us to be like those hewn stones so that we fit together like a wall and that we become one. One as one really should be. And you know, just taking that picture that was given on Tuesday, so that in the, in the harbour of restoration, the ship can be armed and ready for fight. So that we can be armed and ready for fight. To me, that is the key of why we are one. Uh, uh, this morning, uh, earlier this morning, I um, used this illustration. Today, uh, in, in Tollpuddle in Devon, there's a big festival going on to commemorate the, the Tollpuddle martyrs, the farm workers who went on strike because they wanted better conditions. Now, they joined together as a band, but they had a common purpose. They knew what they wanted. They knew what they had to do. Notice the name they were given, the Tollpuddle Martyrs. They were prepared to die for what they thought was right. Are we one? Are we prepared to be the Christ Church martyrs, to die for what we believe in? And have we got one purpose? Or have we got diverse purposes? These are questions I want to leave with you. Because I think, as I said earlier, this is very much an individual thing. It's not a collective thing. It's something for each one of us to hold on to and perhaps change our lives accordingly so that we can be shaped to fit in so that we as a church can be one.